Hello, welcome to week 49 of 2018. Read through the Bible with your non angelic hosts, Jeff and Kelly. I'm Kelly. Yes, you are. And that's that's Jeff. Yes, I am. Otherwise known as the greatest gift I ever received in my life. A little baby brother. Oh, yeah. Jeff. Yep. This week, Jeff, we're covering Colossians through Titus, which yes. for some reason seems like an odd grouping in my little memorizational brain. Because, you know, when you learn the books of the Bible, you tend to put some books together, like Jonah, Mike, and Nam. Yes. And Colossians, Titus, doesn't, it doesn't flow. So I'm having a little bit of a hard time with it, because it won't flow. Well, we're covering one of my favorite books of the Bible today, which is Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. That's my favorite, Fourth just because it's the, it's the funnest book to say. That's why it's my favorite. Second Thessalonians. Okay. That is a very spiritual reason to like mm. a specific book of the Bible. Yes, yes it is. We're going to start in Colossians, which was written to the church in Colossae. Colossae. Colosso. Colossae. All the books that we're covering today are still written by our friend, the Apostle Paul. His letter to the people of Colossians does start with some internal evidence of authorship. In other words, when an author of a book of the Bible says, hey, I wrote this, or as Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ. That means he is claiming authorship of this book that is known as internal evidence of authorship. Mm, fascinating. Isn't that? However, as men are wont to do, um, some theologians actually debate whether it was really Paul that wrote the book of Colossians. Yeah, that kind of stuff annoys me. It really wasn't an issue until like 19th century 1800s. in Germany. 18th century, actually. 18th, whatever, in Germany. A bunch of German people sit around being cranky about stuff. Imagine that. Germans doing that. So some reasons, I just thought it. we might throw out one of the reasons that they think, is because Paul actually talks about some of the issues. These words in Colossians are a little bit different, a little bit different perspective on some things. First of all, an example would be the church otherwise known as ecclesiology, they say that in this book, he speaks more to the overwhelming idea of capital C Catholic Church. Do you know what I mean? Like universal church. As opposed to in a lot of his other books, he speaks to a specific church group. So that would be one example of why they look at this as possibly not being written by Paul. I believe Paul wrote it. Yeah, I don't pay too much attention to that stuff. I'm just throwing it out there oh, yeah. because it's a whole other little thing that goes on with bibliocracy. Bibliology, I believe, is the word. Bibliology. Okay, anyway, let's get going. We're okay. going to assume his authorship. He starts out with a thanksgiving and a prayer for these people. In verse 15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. 
That is a very, very clear, probably one of the clearest evidences or statements of Jesus's divinity that Paul gives throughout his letters. He also talks in here about the mystery. Paul's got mystery going on throughout many of his books. And when he brings up the word mystery, this is stuff that was hidden before, which is now revealed. And so Paul is, I guess, adding to ideas that were kind of hinted at in the Old Testament. And he's kind of explaining them more clearly. All of that stuff is more clear now since Christ came and did what Christ did on his death and resurrection and so forth. So he uses the word mystery in there. So a lot of that is just progressive revelation stuff. I skipped over my very first note I had written down, which is on verse 11. He says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I just wanted to say that throughout Paul's letters, I keep seeing the word steadfast. He's telling the people to be steadfast in their faith. He uses the word endurance a lot. We talked last time about how he uses the idea of endurance as an athlete. And that again struck me this week because all through the Old Testament, it kept standing out to me. The huge lesson for me this year reading through the Bible has been the characteristic of God, which is his steadfast love. So that's been really good for me to focus on that this year. It goes all through the Old Testament. What's interesting to me in the New Testament is we're told to be like Christ. And a lot of that description about what these believers are supposed to be use the word endurance and steadfast. So it's a good reminder. It's also interesting that it keeps being brought up because people are forgetful and we're dumb. I'm dumb. I'm forgetful. I am not steadfast. I know. I know that's a shock to you. I'm using a lot of steadfastness and patience this year talking to my sister on the phone this month. I know. It's probably more than I've ever talked to you. This is a lot of talking between brother and sister for one year. I know. (laughs) 2019 cannot come soon enough. No, I don't even really like you (laughs) at this point. (laughs) Bring on the new year. (laughs) (laughs) okay but anyway that is just very interesting to me and i see it all through these books i kept picking up those words this week you got a similar concept as well like a chapter two where he's got that rooted and built up thing you know again the rooted and there's a solidity he wants people to have and then there's the built up in him who is the fullness of the godhead bodily and it's kind of fits back to that verse you read from chapter one, you know, that again, the deity of Christ, and then thinking here, what he's saying is we are built up in him who is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So we have that tap into that divine nature as well. I like the way Peter says it, where he says, we are partakers of the divine nature. So all that stuff that Christ has, we by faith have access to that too. And so that's what we're rooted up Rooted in, built up in, that's why we're steadfast, enduring, because we have a sure foundation of Christ. So it's all kind of cool how it all fits together. In chapter 2, verse 14, don't you think that's an interesting verse? By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Why does it seem weird to me that it would use the word legal? I get it, and I understand why. It's sort of like reading through the Bible and then seeing the phrase, boy, howdy, or something. It just seems like such a current phrasing. (laughs) I think that's because you're reading a current translation. I know. 
trust me, I understand what I'm saying. It doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> Nobody else does, but hey, steadfast endurance going on here. Oh, shut up. Okay. okay. Chapter 3, verse 1. Oh, wait, one. you got that little thing there, too, at the end of chapter 2, where he's got that uh, touch not, taste not, handle not thing, and you got that fake, that fake spirituality, which is just basically fleshly willpower, that that is not the same thing as, as spiritual discipline. So that concept, I think, is kind of interesting, too, that just having a bunch of rules and keeping those rules does not... Uh, necessarily mean anything spiritual is going on. And that's a, mm-hmm. a big idea there, too. Mm-hmm. I wonder, yeah, when I read that, I wondered if you'd bring that up because I figured yeah. that would be a Jeff thing. It don't matter if my hair touches my collar, people. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't get me started. <laughs> don't get me started back <laughs> to school. Okay, chapter three. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things on earth. For you're dead. Your life is hidden with Christ and God. Beautiful. Put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. Yep, put on a new man. Yes, there are some action words there that I believe it gets tricky, because this is some theology that you can kind of argue about what part is you deciding that you're going to put on that new body or the new coat you know they always make it be a coat (laughs) put on the take off the old coat put on the new coat that seems like there's some action on my part yep something you're supposed to do yes also chapter three got that authority issue again i brought that up last week with ephesians that paul brings up the authority submission stuff that's a good Mm -hmm. indicator as to how well you're doing that you are dead thing Yeah, you're going to show compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with with each other. You're not fighting against each other. Um, You're forgiving each other. Um, And then to put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Those are all decisive things as well. The word steadfastly in prayer comes in chapter 4, verse 2. Being watchful in prayer. And then he ends... With his final greetings, Tychicus is mentioned again. And I don't think I ever really realized that Tychicus was like the deliverer of all these letters. I just never knew it was his name with multiple letters because we've come across him already. Just something I learned this Ah, time. I learn something new every day. Yeah. Especially if you're stupid. I actually, (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to say I actually don't, but I am still stupid. Okay, I, Paul, writing this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And that brings us to the close of the book of Colossians. And we move on to 1 Thessalonians. So these are people in the church in the city of Thessalonica. The group there is saying hello to them, and it goes right into him being thankful to God for all of them. He's always praying for them. In verse 3, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. So I have written down work produced by faith, labor prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope. And to me, this is one way I understand the combination of that spiritual realm and the physical realm. So there's a spiritual realm of faith What does that produce? It produces something tangible, which is the work. 
the love is the spiritual level, it prompts my labor. Uh, uh, does that make sense? And then hope inspires the endurance. So Yeah, the whole book is uh, surrounded by afflictions, tribulations. He uses those words a lot. And they are a very persecuted church, so there's a lot of encouraging stuff. A lot of stuff in there about continue to do good. Don't worry about the idiots around you. Um, he does that in chapter 2, verse 12, that you would walk worthy of God. And then, you know, he's got stuff in there right after that about pleasing God and not people. Because they are very... Things are going pretty rough for them. And so he wants them to make sure they're doing good. And it doesn't matter if it's working. It doesn't matter if anybody likes it. It doesn't matter if it's making your life worse. Don't give up. Keep going. Yes. Do you have anything in chapter three? Nope. Chapter four, a breakdown of this. If I was going to teach this, I would divide it. Verses one through eight, how to live. Verses nine and ten, how to love. And verses 11 and 12, how to labor or work which also relates back to chapter 1, verse 3. If you notice, again, he's calling them to to do good, to act well, not to give up because of persecution. The verse 1 there, I tell you how you ought to walk and how to please God. Verse 7, God's not cause to uncleanness, but to holiness. Uh, so again, don't give up. Doing the good stuff, you'll be fine. I like the verse 11. You study to be quiet. Do your own business. Work with your own hands as we commanded you. That is a beautiful verse for our social media driven day in which everybody is interested in what everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter. What are you doing? Keep your little hands busy and be quiet. And if I'm not mistaken, I heard at one point that this was Grandma Massey's, one of her favorite verses. I do believe I heard that as well, yes. She was a good example of that. Verse, going then, what you're saying, see, it actually seems to match what's there, Jeff. Because <laughs> 13 through 18 is like, you're doing those things and you're holding on and we have hope because of Jesus living, dying and rising again. And verse 14, for since we believe those things happened, we then believe that we will be raised with him. Um, and that should be their encouragement to each other. And then chapter 5 is further encouragement that Christ is coming back. Mm -hmm. Very good. And then the whole last chapter concludes with the big old list of just command after command, which I think are interesting. Very short sentences, very not characteristic of the way Paul generally communicates. But he, he'll drop into those lists every once in a while, and that last section of First Thessalonians is a good little summation of what it is Paul's looking for out of people. I honestly think that's when he's dictating to someone else and he just starts like listing off things really quickly. Louise, give me an egg. And then even his goodbye in this book seems really short to me too. He's like, he who calls you is faithful. He'll surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath. Like it's very short. Well, I think it's it was probably supper poetic. time, and he was like, hey, gotta go. Gotta go. Supper's He's tired of writing cold. this out for me. The ink is running out. And then he moves into Second Thessalonians, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's your favorite book? Second Thessalonians. 
All right. Paul writes again to this church, and he starts out with thanks for them as well. And he does say that their faith is growing abundantly. The love of every one of you for one another is increasing. That's a good thing. And they are being steadfast. And in the first book, he told them to walk. He told them to walk worthy of God. In verse five, chapter one, he tells them that you be counted worthy of the kingdom of God. So he's using that worthy thing kind of as the to be worthy means literally means to be deserving of. Uh, I think it's being used more kind of in the idea of you know live up to that kind of a thing, and that's kind of his motivation in both books is to be to be worthy of who it is you are and of the kingdom of God. So that's good motivation. Mm-hmm. I would say the key verses of Second Thessalonians are chapter 2, 1 through 3. The well, end. Good for you. Okay. Chapter 2, verse 6. <laughs> that is an interesting verse. You know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time. There's actually theological little people like that verse too. I just like throwing some of these verses out so that anyone who's listening can kind of get tied up in knots over certain things. Just for fun. I like the way he describes unbelievers in verse 12 of chapter 2. They believe not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The opposite of believing the truth is having pleasure in sin. So there's something cool about the way he says that there. Mm -hmm. Stand firm is in verse 15. And then chapter 3, it's a short book. The Lord is faithful. He's going into his ending here. We have confidence in the Lord about you. You're doing and will do the things that they're commanding them to do. May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. And then he warns them against... Idleness, if someone is not walking according to the message that they've been told, they need to fix that. That's not good. Um, And then he does his benediction. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. This is the sign of genuineness in every letter of mine. It is the way I write. Why does he say that? (laughs) Because he knew that there were going to be Germans someday who were going to say, Oh, Oh. uh, I bet you did. (laughs) Schneider House. Okay, First <laughs> Timothy Dumbkoff. and Second Timothy. Did you just say dumb cough? I did. No, don't say bad words. Not to words. you. Mm. Anyway, First Second Timothy Titus recall the pastoral epistles. That doesn't necessarily mean that Timothy or Titus were pastors. I certainly don't think Timothy was because he was traveling all over the place, so I didn't see how he could be. But the reason they call it pastoral epistles is because it's giving you general instructions for how a church is supposed to be operated. Uh, and there's just a lot of stuff in there about, you know, how to do it that is not explained anywhere else except for in these books. So that's, I believe, why they're called pastoral epistles. Because they are helpful in establishing pastors and what pastors are supposed to be doing in a church. Not that Timothy, I don't know much about Titus, but I know Timothy for sure. I don't think he was a pastor because he's... You know, especially we saw an axe. You know, he was sending him all over the place. So maybe he was a circuit rider. And like Titus, well, kind of he was a little bit. And like Titus, his job was to establish churches in the area he was doing. So I don't, 
I don't necessarily think either of them are pastors per se. The word pastor doesn't show up in the book. Uh, he usually calls them bishops, at least in the King James anyway. Uh, or other translations, what, go with elder? Something like that. Anyway, it's all kind of the same thing, so... Oh, were you asking? Yeah, chapter Sorry. 3 talks about qualifications. King James is bishops, I don't know what... Mm -hmm. It's the word overseer, so I don't know if they go with elder there in newer translations. I saw elder and I saw deacon. Oh, yeah, those are two, two different levels. things. No, I know. I'm telling you. Well, seriously, woman. I saw. Good grief. I cannot wait for 2018 to get over with already. Uh, all <laughs> I said were there were two different offices. Dead fast. Jeff, it also uses the word overseer. Yes. I want to tell you, that is what I it know. says. Yes. Ooh. The grief woman. Let's just cover the book already. Okay. Um. <laughs> I love wow. you, Kelly. Uh -huh. You're my favorite sister. Okay. Right. <laughs> Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. That's right. That's my takeaway from 1 Timothy. Also, chapter 6, verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. Yes, it is. That's that's the true phrasing. People yes. say weird things with that. Yes. And Jesus is coming back, and so, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For yes. by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Yeah, the uh, chapter 3 is where he has the qualifications for bishops and deacons. Uh, chapter 4 is where he says to refuse the irrelevant silly myths. Exercise yourself in godliness for bodily exercise profits a little. I figure that would be one of your life verses. Mm-hmm. And verse 16, this is often a verse that a lot of pastors kind of chalk up as their ministry verse. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, I think a lot of pastors use that but a lot don't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I know some that do. Chapter 6 <laughs> is the big warning about the uh, going after the money that you will destroy your faith if you go after the money so be careful i do like that he gives directions to the rich i mean it wasn't like a terrible thing to be rich but you have some responsibility then yep okay second timothy he keeps going with this be a good soldier Timothy was also fairly young, apparently, because there's several mentions in there about how he's young and people are going to despise him and so forth. So, like, in Chapter 1, he's got a lot of stuff about partakers of the afflictions and hold fast. The ministry is not the easiest thing in the world, and if you're young and you're a little insecure, which Timothy apparently was, it's nice to have an older guy say, Hey, you're doing all right. You know, remember, we patted you on the back there, and we chose you for this because we think you can do it, so don't get bogged down there. You're going to be all right. So, chapter 2, verse 3, Endure hardness is a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself in the affairs of the world. That's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. Uh, if we're in a battle down here, if we're truly fighting a battle for the Lord, there's an awful lot of stuff going on in the world that really should not concern us that much. And I fear how much politics and things like that have entered into our churches that I think 
I think we're uh, I think we're really blowing that one because if you're truly sold out as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, I think you're going to ignore a lot of the stupid going on in the world. He also has some stuff there at the end of chapter two about the servant of the Lord should not be arguing with people, but being patient, instructing those that oppose themselves. I love the way the King James says that. Instructing those that oppose themselves. I have had many a theological conversation with somebody who is arguing with themselves. And it's it's a fascinating thing to behold. And somehow or another you patiently try to instruct people who say things that don't make any sense. That's why I'm patient with you. Thank you. Chapter 3 talks about the evil condition of the last days. My favorite phrase in there is these people have a form of godliness but without the power. And I believe that as much of modern-day Christianity has a form of godliness, but completely lacks any power. It's just a bunch of positive thinking, health and wealth garbage. And there is no spiritual vitality to it at all whatsoever, but it sure looks like something something's going on. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Let me just say, I am a woman and I have no problem with that verse. <laughs> no, if you've ever they... had any familiarity with women's Bible studies, you know exactly oh, what he's talking about. Hello! Lord. Emotion directs everything. Like, they're so sad about something in their life. They, you just choose, if you're a woman, you choose what you're going to be sad about and that leads you. And it's, it's so maddening. Ugh. I actually own a book that's called No More Weak Women. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> really good. She talks about women need to know the word of God and they need to read the word of God. And it should be like your Bible studies should be based on the word of God and who God is. And ugh. It, but that message needs to be spoken because... I mean, I'm a woman, and I'm not debating you at all on that. It's so true. Yeah. Um, yeah. Get taken away by emotion instead of remembering. And also just kind of allowing yourself to be carried away by, what, by whatever's prettiest and kind of helps you that day. Well, honey, you are going to have a hard time being steadfast in the Lord if you're just reading Pinterest images and Instagram Bibles. So, Yeah. I'm, ugh, it's my mm. little, yeah, okay, let's move on. Yeah, and not like uh, not like men are doing a bang-up job either, because oh, no. verse 3 of chapter no. 4, in the end, nobody is going to endure sound doctrine, but they will get to themselves teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. And yes. so right. it's not like men are over here nailing it no. on Bible study. It's just, at least men usually deal with the Bible. <laughs> in my impression of most women's Bible studies there's a lot of other things that are in verses are tacked in and not that men don't do that I'm just saying everybody's got a problem and I think men are susceptible to argue about you know the definition of a stupid word whereas women are just over there weeping and stuff and it's like both of yeah. them are completely missing the point and I know. if you have any idea of dealing with Christians, that chapter 4, verse 3 and 4, I mean, hello, that's that's where we're at. And it's yeah, it's not getting any better. And I, w I will say, because I do go to a church that has women's Bible studies, and I'm actually helping co-lead a group this year. So if you are listening and you attend our church, I'm not denigrating 
my group or the group I'm with at all. Well, of course, you would not be included in this. No, 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 no. I'm saying <laughs> I. that's why I can sign on the line with this group, because there was a sense of we're going through First Peter, we're looking at scripture. It was taught by um, the lady that wrote the book, and we watched the study. It was It was very scriptural. It was very much learning the book. And that Never mind. It's it's a whole story. But the lady who's teaching it, she's a well-known author, and her whole point is that Bible study should never be about looking at yourself. It should always be about looking at God, looking towards him and his character. So anyway, yay for those who are fighting the fight, whether you're a man or a woman. And Amen. Getting into the word. So it's also chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says, no man stood with me. And I just like to throw that in again because we all think that Paul was wildly successful. And here's his statement that he's actually left alone. And remember, Jesus Christ was left alone too. So don't be surprised. If you do it right, you're lonely. Yeah, verse 17. But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. Yep. And that's the benefit of being dropped by people which I think is one of his points, maybe that he's sending to Timothy here as a young man, look, this stuff, it's going to happen. Just get used to it and then allow all of that to drive you closer to the Lord. And I think that's really what happened for, for Timothy. It certainly did for Paul. Hopefully it did for Timothy. Right. Paul wants it to okay. happen for Timothy. Yes, yes. And we're not told anything different, right? Nope. The, right. Um. Is it we're not told anything different or we're not told anything differently? I think it's differently. Okay, the letter of Paul to Titus. That is our final book for today. It is another short book. It's only got three chapters in it. Um, Some more. So this is written to Titus, who he calls my true child in a common faith. I would assume that means that he's also kind of like the spiritual father of Titus as well. Because we usually hear that about Timothy. Yeah, I think he's just another young guy that was in his ministry and he was preparing him for a specific job. Again, his job was to establish churches. So chapter 1, you have stuff about qualifications of bishops, people who are overseeing what's going on in the church. Make sure they know what they're doing, otherwise the church will suffer. So Titus, who is in charge of appointing people in the churches to do stuff, he needs to pick good people. Uh, the qualifications of these church leaders here and in First Timothy are all spiritual character issues. There's no worldly success being listed in there. There's nothing like that. It's all spiritual character issues. And if you look at uh, the modern day way that churches pick pastors, it's they will sometimes throw in, well, of course you should meet the qualifications of Paul. But Paul doesn't say you should throw this in as one of the things. He says, this is the deal. And I think that the church is not doing that today, and it makes me weep the state of the church along with the state of pastors today. You hear all the abuse stuff, and, you know, it's like every week there's another guy, you know, getting fired from his job for one other stupid thing. And I think of the church would go back to what Paul is talking about here. Instead of basing it on where he went to seminary and stuff, I think we'd be a whole lot better off as a church. Yeah. I know. We're close. Well, never mind. Yeah, yep. we'll never mind yeah. that. Verse 11, yeah. I like that he says to Titus, 
There are people there whose mouths must be stopped. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's beautiful. And he gets down verse 16. I like that way he says it there too. They profess to know God, but in deeds they deny him. And if all of your faith is just talk, Paul is not your fan. Um, and then chapter 2, I feel like, is a positive spin on that to teach the doctrine. Like, older men are supposed to be acting one way. Older women should be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. Teach what's good. Train up the young women. So there's yeah, a lot of instruction. The, the old and the young, everybody has a part. Which, again, another little point to make. I don't like how the modern church is separating people by age groups. I really think that's a dumb idea. Oh, I hate that. Yep. And uh, I think that a church should have old people and young people all together because that's how the young people learn, and it helps mm -hmm. keep the old people accountable, understanding that there are young people here watching. And I think that's a good thing. And then splitting everybody up into their age groups, I think, is absolutely disastrous. I think it's becoming disastrous. I'm seeing it. And I think, too, like there's a certain aspect where like I'm right in the middle, and of the programs and so forth. And you do, you get a little lost because we're so focused on like, we're bringing up the next generation of the church. Well, who is? I don't know who is, you know, <laughs> like who's bringing them up if you're separating us all. I feel yeah. like they're just teaching each other, going on and on about stuff. And I just said this week to someone on the staff at the church I work with, I'm like, you know, you're in your 20s and that's great. And but I said, but I'm in my 40s, and I would love to help with this as well, but I'm being excluded from it because I'm not cute in my 20s, you know? <laughs> I mean, it's like... Oh, you're still but, cute, Kelly. No, no. <laughs> but it was, it's kind of like this net, this exclusion that's starting to happen where it's like, well, what about the people in their 40s? Yeah, yeah so I'm going to start a new group. You're invited to come. Just, okay. just people in their 40s. <laughs> well, that's the opposite point I'm trying to make. <laughs> I know. That's why uh, I said you know, it. I know. I can't wait for 2019. Uh, <laughs> Titus 2, 12 through 14, probably some of the most beautiful verses in the entire uh, New Testament. Certainly in Titus. Yes. Beautiful stuff yes. there. Yes. Waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. The, uh, he brings up chapter 3, he brings up doing good works several times. Uh, doing good works, good works are a theme throughout the it's a very short book of Titus, but he uses good works in there uh, quite a bit. And uh, there's a fear that people have talking about good works these days, because legalism! But no, no, good works are good, so you should do good things. It's really not, should not at all be something that needs to be argued about do good things people right of course yeah. if you love the chicago bears you're gonna talk about the chicago bears it's a natural outflow of your love for the chicago bears some of us like the green bay packers those people should probably keep their mouths shut currently it'll it'll be all right jeff it'll be okay i'm fine um did they win today Ah, uh, they did, yes. That brings us to the end of Titus. So through these readings, was there a characteristic of God that stood out to you? Or you learned? Well, you're not going to learn because you are you already know it. Well, I guess I'd go with the church thing, you know, going back to the mystery thing we were talking about, pastoral epistles, 
Thessalonian church getting beat up. There's a lot of church-oriented stuff in these books. And the fellowship of believers is supposed to be a very special thing. It's supposed to be all of us looking to the one man, Christ Jesus, and that focus on the one man, Christ Jesus, is supposed to bring us together. I think our example for that is the Trinitarian unity that God has, the three-in-one, yes. and uh, it's supposed to be reflected in our churches. But if you have morons in the church, it's not going to happen. And so make right. sure you get the right people leading the church. Make sure they're growing in the Lord. Make sure the people in the church are growing in the Lord. When everybody's growing in the Lord, everything's just, just going to take care of itself. The body edifies itself in love, he said in Ephesians 4, and I love that little phrase. Because you're mm-hmm. not going to have to worry about church growth. You don't have to worry about that. Just get people growing in the Lord. And, and they're growing right. in their love for each other. And don't worry about all that stuff that the world says you need to worry about. Don't entangle yourself with the affairs of the world. Just love people. Maintain the unity. Go to church. Build up the church. Edify the church. Offer something to the church. Church is a good thing. Use the church. It's a beautiful thing. Do it right. Be careful. Mm-hmm. Go for it. Mm-hmm. Steadfast. Love. Patience. Yay. Yep. Amen. Amen to all that. When it works, it works, man. Yeah. <laughs> it is. It's a beautiful thing. And I had brought up the mention of, you know that one verse where people argue about what it is that's holding back yeah. the evil in the world? The restrainer. I think it means, yeah, the restrainer. I People say it might be the Holy Spirit. Some people say it's the church. I actually think it's the church, Jeff, through my study of that passage. And I, that's why for me and my husband, we've decided that we'll be a part of the church because, and I think the Holy Spirit obviously is involved in that as well. It's kind of one and the same in a sense because of the body of Christ. So I believe the Holy Spirit is holding that together. Um And I believe that it is my job as a follower of Christ to be a part of a local church Um, because I believe that that is where you can develop relationships and friends with all ages and be an encouragement to each other. Much to every pastor's chagrin, there is no verse in the Bible that says you need to go to church. No. (laughs) Uh, They use that verse in Hebrews, but I don't really think that's what it's talking about. Uh, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves. Oh, for fellowship, Which yeah. is, you know, it might be part of it, but uh, there really is no verse that says you should do it, which I think is interesting on several levels because, first of all, people never do what they're told to do anyway. <laughs> so yeah. that's just going to make the situation worse. Secondly, every pastor would be beating you over the head with it every week. Thirdly, if you have to be told to go to church, you probably shouldn't be there anyway. You know, I think church Mm -hmm. is a completely voluntary thing that, you know, I have tried my hardest as a pastor never to guilt people into coming to church. If you're not coming, you're not coming. And, you know, I am silently judging you, of course. But, uh, (laughs) you know, it's it's you know, this is this is the most worthwhile thing on the planet. People, how could you not be showing up here for one another? And, And to me, that's more how the New Testament talks about this is a cool thing. You know, and if you're plugged into what's going on in Christ, you're going to do your best to get there as often as possible. And so mm-hmm. I don't think he needs to tell people because I think that just would backfire anyway. But if you understand the blessing that the church is and or could be, I think people would be a little more 
uh, excited and energetic about making it something because it could it really could be something cool. Mm-hmm. It could. Um, the book that most helped me with that was well, I guess I should say the Bible is the book, the only book I've ever read. Of course. But that would be a lie. Indeed. There's another book that helped me a few years ago. It's called Why We Love the Church in Praise of Institutions and Organized Religion. It's by Kevin DeYoung and Ted Cluck. It is very good. And I think it just was able to present it to me for my own faith in how to approach the church. Um, So I would recommend that book. Of course, that would be after you've finished your Holy Scripture reading then you can go read that other one. <laughs> You're giving them permission? Yes. Um, I do feel like that book is um, a really good summation of the church. Why we love the church. I recommend it to everybody. I read the book. I don't really remember it, though. It's right when it came out. It's been a while. I'll have yeah. To maybe check it out again. Um, I read it because Dad died, and he was a pastor. And I hated the church for a while. After that, because everything was so tied in with dad that it was hard actually yeah. to kind of walk away from that and move on from that and be like, okay, but why are we going? Why am I dragging my kids yeah. <laughs> every week? Um, but part of that was not the church's fault, obviously. It was my fault, and it was also just me uh, grieving the loss. But it was like, well, now dad is not – the father, father. I used to call him father, father. <laughs> get, get it? <laughs> I do get it. Right? So, you know, when you lose that, you you just kind of have to think it through. And I wanted to think it through and make sure I was coming to a good conclusion. Um, and it helped me kind of be more steadfast in like, okay, this is why we're getting our kids up and dragging them out. Because at, at that time, they were like two years old, four years old, six years old. And I just needed to decide what we were going to do, if that makes sense. Yep. All right. Okay. Um, that is it for this week. We are on, that was week 49. We only have three more weeks. Mm. So I'm so excited to never have to talk to you again in 2019. In fact, I might form a new Facebook group called 2019 Don't Talk to Jeff. <laughs> that would be perfectly fine with me. I know it would. (laughs) (laughs) All right, brother. I'll see you next week. All right, sister. Bye.